be ready to get out of your comfort zone and your experience would be very meaningful. Wherever you go, not just here, to any country in the world. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Better Travel Podcast, the show that gives you a deeper understanding of the world of travel. I am your host, travel journalist Paige McClanahan, coming to you from my studio here in a corner of our house in a little valley in the French Alps, which is where my family and I have called home for the past four years or so. And you know, our village here is so reliant on tourism. We get a ton of hikers in the summer and a ton of skiers in the winter, and we get cheese lovers year-round. And most of our neighbors and our friends earn their living in the tourism industry in one way or another. So living here and being a resident here year-round was really one of the things that inspired me and that continues to inspire me to try to understand the tourism industry in a really nuanced way. You know, because there are so many benefits and there are so many downsides to travel and tourism, you know, for residents as well as for visitors. But this question of seeing your home as a tourist destination is a topic that I got into with today's guest, Hussam Jubran, whose voice you heard there at the very top of the episode. So Hussam was born in the city of Bethlehem, which lies in Palestine's West Bank and which has long been a destination for travelers from all over the world. Today, Hussam lives in Jerusalem, and he works as both a peace activist and a tour guide who focuses on politics, culture, and faith. Hussam has been guiding for more than 25 years, and he says that he was one of the first people to offer tours of the Holy Land that went beyond what he calls the Jesus tours, you know, the traditional approach to biblical tourism. So Hussam does the biblical stuff, but he also introduces his guests to the living culture and politics of this fascinating place that they're visiting. So in my conversation with Hussam, you're going to hear him talk about his favorite places to bring travelers in the West Bank, and also about how tourism is becoming a bigger part of the Palestinian economy. You'll also hear Hussam's advice for how you can have an exceptional travel experience wherever you might go in the world. And to be honest, I think it's a fantastic piece of advice that I agree with wholeheartedly. So I was lucky enough to visit Israel and Palestine earlier this year as part of my research for the book that I'm writing on the tourism industry. Although, unfortunately, I didn't actually get the chance to meet Hussam while I was there. But I started my conversation with him by asking Hussam to describe some of the places that he most likes to bring visitors in the West Bank. And one of his answers was Ramallah, a bustling city that's just over an hour's drive from Tel Aviv. Here's what he had to say. Ramallah, because it, like you can show the contrast between the tradition and modernity. The growth in Ramallah, the ability of Palestinians to achieve and accomplish if they giving the chance to, to really stand on their feet and establish themselves. But also there is a lot of places that connects you culturally and traditionally. The sporty clubs, for example, the Arab Orthodox clubs gives you an idea. When I take them there, I talk about the Christian community, the history of the Christian community, that the history of the Orthodox club that goes more than 100 years, started in Jaffa and expanded to most of the Christian communities in the Arab world. The market is amazing. The old city, the old part, I don't want to say else because there is no old city really in Ramallah, but the old part of Ramallah give you a sense also of that deep tradition and deep culture engulfed in a way with modernity. Yeah, certainly. And um, when I was there in May, we went to the Yasser Arafat Museum. and The tomb. museum and the tomb. Yeah, yes. and that was, I found that really 
fascinating and really helped me understand a lot of the history that I hadn't fully grasped before. Yes. And like, again, especially like people interested in politics, that would be a good destination to talk about the evolvement of the national movement, the role of Arafat and the PLO in that movement, the way Palestinians look to Arafat negatively or positively. But that's a place where you give in-depth understanding about the evolvement, I would say, of the Palestinian national movement. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I wonder, you know, do you find that tourists are nervous to go to Palestine or like, do you hear concerns from them? Depends. Depends. Yeah. Like usually, usually people, like the moment they made the decision, it should, they know, they're coming and they know what they're doing. Originally, like before they come and when they're planning, usually they feel nervous. So sometimes some people, they will contact me and you just comfort them and tell them it's safe and that's the end of the story. I work a lot with Jewish groups. So some of their leaders with those Jewish groups are more careful when they plan to come to visit Arafat because Arafat is very controversial and with special Jewish communities, he's the ultimate evil in, in a way. So they are extra cautious if they should come and visit or not visit because it could be interpreted not necessarily as a way to understand, but as a way to show respect. And that could bring... Uh, the hell loose in that uh, Jewish community. So more Jewish leader will be extra careful when we talk about visiting Arafat uh, tomb. Yeah. But yeah. that would be like for me the concern I hear a lot when I work with the groups. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can understand. I wonder, I'd love to ask you about recent sort of evolution of the tourism industry in Palestine. I mean, in your years of working as a guide, have you seen the number of tourists to Palestine grow? Is this becoming a bigger part of the Palestinian economy? Definitely, definitely. I remember myself when I started work as a tour guide, there was only that what I call it now the typical uh, tourism, which is Jesus tours. People coming mostly to follow the Bible from a Christian perspective. You will have, of course, Jewish group, but they will be doing things mostly in, in Israel. Most of the group that will come to West Bank, like Jericho or Bethlehem, sometimes Nablus, it's because of religious reasons, like Jacob's Well or Joshua Walls or Place of Birth. And I remember myself when I started to say, I want to go beyond that. Everybody told me, you're crazy, you're stupid, you should not do it. It's the most, it's the, the silliest thing. Uh, well, luckily, I didn't listen and I started to do things slowly and it started to pick up. But then the Intifada started, the second Intifada, things collapsed down. So when things started to pick up again, 2007, 8, and I resumed my work as a tour guide, at the beginning, it was very slow. But now, as I told you, like, it's very clear for me that things like... Uh, uh, like, I remember, as I told you, going to either refugee camp, the Haitian refugee camp, I would be the only one. And like, people will look to me like, what the heck are you doing here? Luckily, I have good connection. People know me. And still, despite of that, I had some difficulties taking people uh, there. But now it's like a, a, a huge destination. A lot of tourists, they go to refugee camp. New businesses open there, depending on tourism. Uh, now, so it, it even became a good source of income to many people who are living in that area. So yes, I can see growth on a number of people coming to visit different areas in West Bank, Jericho, especially particularly Jericho, uh, Ramallah, and Bethlehem. Of course, still the focus is religion. The other side, it's a kind of a byproduct. But I can't deny that it's way much better than years ago. 
Interesting. Interesting. And do you think there's scope or desire among Palestinians or Palestinian leaders and Palestinian residents to see even more tourists coming to, to Palestine? I think so. In general, we are very hospitable people. Like no matter what, wherever I went, people were very welcoming when I brought tourists to them. And that's natural. Like even like if I'm alone and they go, let's say, to Jenin to do things there, people will, and I just, I, I don't know and the way, and I ask, people want to stop me and take me to, to lunch or take me to dinner. Uh, uh, so sometimes I avoid even asking the way, so, so I will not be in that situation. And that's in a way a reflection of the hospitality. Even sometimes with tourists, I'm walking with one of the villages and I smell the traditional bread making, or like that smell of bread coming out, which is very delicious. And I did it a lot. I go, I knock on the door and say, hey, I smell the bread and I personally like it. And I want the tourists to see. And usually they open the door and they let the tourists come in and they feed them of that bread. So in general, I don't think people have any problem or any hostility toward internationals or toward foreigners. But do we have the infrastructure to develop that? I would say still, not yet. We lack a lot in that regard, but still many people are trying and especially a lot of tour guides nowadays because Palestinian tour guides, most of them, they can't work inside Israel. They don't have permit to work inside Israel and they started to realize it's only alternative to manage to create in their own niche in a way or to get some income is to go beyond religious tours. So more tour guides started to do things outside of the normal or typical uh, tourism, which is, I think, it's a huge push forward. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, you mentioned that Palestinian tour guides don't necessarily have the right to work as tour guides in Israel. In Israel. Can you talk about the certification process for becoming a tour guide in Palestine and Israel and, yes. and how that works? Yeah. Uh, like usually, like I would say, like first, like we have to go to study, whether Palestinians or Israeli, or like whether you are Israeli ID holder or, Jeru- or Palestinian ID holder. You go do one year and a half uh, university degree, diploma degree. You do archaeology, history, religion. And when I say religion, it's Islamic, Christianity, and and Judaism. And you go over all the sites, all the sites, Israel and Palestine. And then you do an exam with the committee. If you pass it, you get your license. Up till 1995, Palestinians living in West Bank couldn't become tour guides, couldn't work as tour guides. Anywhere? Anywhere. Anywhere. Wow. Okay. Not at all. In 1995, as part of the Paris Accord, which is the economic uh, agreement of Oslo Accord, Palestinians were given the right to become tour guides. And I was one of the, almost the first group to go and study, which again, it was stupid. I can remember consulting people at the time, telling me it's stupid, like, you should, like, this is a totally new thing. You should not do it. Anyway, I did it. So up till the year 2000, those guides who graduated between and like you remember we started 95 so first it was graduated in 97 and second patch 99 so you have like basically two patch like a few few number few guides they were allowed to work inside israel they will be granted the permit with the coordination between the ministry of tourism in palestine ministry of tourism in israel and they will work inside uh, normally everywhere in 2000, the Intifada broke out. So when the Intifada broke out and things became really, really awful, Israel stopped the permits for the tour guides. And not just stopped the permits, after they, all those who 
studied tourism after the year 2000, they are not allowed to get a permit to work inside Israel. So that's how we ended up having no more than 50 guides who are eligible to work inside Israel. And mostly, I would say 99% of them are the guides who graduated debris the year 2000. I guess Israel runs its own sort of parallel tour guide certification program. So they would need to... So the only people who are allowed to guide in Israel are people who have gone through the Israeli certification process. Yes. Is that right? Ex- yeah. Yes, except yeah. those 50 Palestinian guides who've been pre-2000. Yes, yeah, yeah. Other than that, yes, they have to go. I think there are two programs in Israel, one in the University of Haifa, and I don't know the other one. You study there and then you do oral and written exam. If you pass, you get the Israeli license and that's it. Interesting. I mean, I think it's so fascinating that Israel and Palestine have created these certification programs for tour guides because, you know, I think in a lot of, I think in most parts of the world, anybody can call themselves a tour guide and make up a little flyer or a website and start charging people. Like I was just in July, I was in Hawaii kind of hanging out with people in the tourism industry there. And they were really complaining about this sort of phenomenon of fake tour guides, people just sort of selling themselves as experts when really they're just kind of making stuff up. So yeah, but, I don't you know. know. Honestly, that you will find everywhere. And even with licensed tour guides, you can't guarantee you ending up with a good guy. Like having the license doesn't necessarily mean you really having a good guy to work with. And it's also tourist responsibility. They need like to be in touch, to talk with the guides, to search, especially if they want something beyond the Bible. Usually, the, for us, it is the easiest thing. You memorize the, like the verses, the incidents that happened in this place or that place. So you just give the history, which is like almost similar in all the places, and you say the biblical reference and the biblical event, and you are perfect guy. So like anyone can do it. Doesn't matter. You can be better if you if you have this trick or that trick. But if people really want beyond that. That's where they need, it won't be easy to find those qualified guys. Because remember, the whole industry, and this is one of our problems, the whole industry is built around biblical tourism. So to go beyond that, it won't be easy, especially like if a guide is only prepared, not just the guide, the driver the restaurant, everybody is prepared for that kind of tours. It won't be easy to go beyond it. And do you think the tourists who are coming to Palestine and the West Bank these days are increasingly interested in going beyond the biblical narrative? Like, is there demand for that now? I don't want to generalize, but my own experience, like, this is my work. And like, when tourism is back, you know, COVID time, no tourism. But like, I never had difficulty having more than enough tours. Mm. Like, usually I end up canceling more than taking. Wow, wow. People. So, which means it's an indication that there is desire. I know that you work a lot with Mejji Tours, which, you know, of course, pioneered this approach of the dual narrative tour. Yes. Can you explain what this sort of dual approach is and what it's like to do that kind of guiding, you know, yourself as a tour guide? Dual narrative, the idea, I think it came 13, 14 years ago. Aziz uh, and Scott, Aziz Absara and Scott Cooper, when they thought like, Everybody is set to have one single narrative. Why we don't 
expanded. So they came with the idea of dual narrative. Like I think me and Yuval Ben Ami were the first two guides to do this work with the Majdi. And I will add, like, probably me and Yuval managed to perfect it. Like, and like, we stopped even using the way dual narrative. We prefer to use the term multi-narrative. And we started to do things in much better way, how to indulge deep in the two societies and the two narratives. And we know we had our struggles at the beginning that we overcame. Like for one example, usually, and we like me and Yuval keep talking about it. Like when we came at the beginning, we thought, oh, we I represent the Palestinian people, Yuval represent the Jewish people. And we realized that it's not the idea. It's not about representation. I'm not there to represent. I'm there to explain, to give a better understanding about the Palestinian context. So there are small things that we started to realize and work through them that really helped us to do very, very good tours. Uh, what I like about the idea of dual narrative, having a Jewish guide and Palestinian guide, it gives a comfort zone for even those most skeptical or very afraid to come and be open or listen to the other narratives, the idea of dual narrative will allow them to do that. If you are pro-Palestinian and you don't want to hear the Israeli narrative, having a Palestinian guide will help you to come and listen. If you are a very Zionist and very pro-Israel and you don't want to hear the Palestinian narrative, having a Jewish guide will help you or make it easy for you to come and listen to the other narrative. So I think that's probably the most innovative, the most important thing that it enabled people who will never think of hearing another narrative, now they have a venue to do that. Yeah, fascinating. And I think a lot of people might not realize that actually having an Israeli and a Palestinian guiding together and working kind of alongside one another like that is actually pretty exceptional. It's not something that you would see every day in in Israel. No, that's for sure. It's ideal to work equally. You don't see. So like also we're presenting a model that uh, other people could learn, could see. A, a model to our kids, I keep saying, at least I want my kids to see I have Jewish friends and I'm working with Jewish uh, friends. So no matter whatever would be influencing them, they still will have a different idea that they can't generalize. Uh, my dad has a lot of Jewish friends and they work t- t- together. The same with the Jewish guides, they will do that also. So it could be also a platform to present different political ideas. So there's a lot of things like in this approach that could be beneficial to change. I don't want to say to change the situation. We not wow, but at least we try to influence the situation. Yeah. And to create that sort of comfort zone, as you're saying, for people to be exposed to, you know, a position that they might otherwise not feel comfortable hearing. And I think, did I hear that you actually officiated at the wedding of one of your Israeli (laughs) tour guides? Yes, I officiated the Yuval, but I was his rabbi. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Technically, you the most important in, in Jewish wedding, you need to have Jewish witnesses. But the officiating person could be any person, not necessarily a rabbi. So in a way, I, I, I served as his rabbi, Yuval bin Ami. <laughs> 
Oh, that's fantastic. And I know that in addition to working as a tour guide, you also do some peace work. Is that right? Yes. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I did my master during the Antifada when things collapsed. I managed to get a scholarship to go to the States where I did my master's in conflict transformation and peace building. And I mostly invested in nonviolence and facilitation. So when I came back, my focus was to understand the idea of nonviolence and to try to... Because we've been practicing nonviolence. I've been practicing nonviolence, but we never connected to it in an academic way. So I wanted to show that the nonviolence thing is not a new concept. It's something that has been here forever, and we've been doing it in a very good way as as Palestinian people. So I developed the training, and I worked with activists to give them the knowledge and the skill of uh, how what's the best way to do nonviolence and i think i like managed to give that knowledge and skills to a lot of people then i made my focus on facilitation especially when i started to work with an organization called hands of peace it's an united states based organization where we usually take every year palestinian kids and jewish kids where they, they are joined there by american kids coming from of course different background uh, for three weeks of dialogue to talk about the conflict. So I was in charge of developing the dialogue content, how to do it and to work, uh, train and work with the facilitators because each, when they are there, they are divided into groups and each group has two facilitators, one Jewish and one Palestinian to work with the group. I'm the director of facilitation. So usually I work with the facilitators to make the best of the dialogue between the different groups. Unfortunately, during COVID, we had to stop, but this year we resumed. So we just restarted, in a way, doing uh, the program. And when after they do the three weeks in the United States, they come back here and we try to expose them to different stuff to different narratives. We bring right-wing people to talk to the group. We bring left-wing people to talk. We try to bring all people from all different political backgrounds because the focus is how we can give them better understanding. It's not about this is right and this is wrong. It's not about polarization. It's more how you can understand your society better and the other better. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing about that. But yeah, thank you so much for this conversation, Hussam. It's been oh, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, and it makes me really excited to get back to Palestine, to be honest. But I wonder, do you have any thoughts or you know, final words that you'd like to share with someone who is maybe considering making a trip to Palestine? Anyone, anyone, just don't be typical. Honestly, like I'm always, you know, I, I even sometimes I become mad of it, that people are paying money just to listen to one thing you basically probably will pay the same amount or could be a little bit more, but a totally new world will be open to you. A totally new thing will be open to you. So if you're ready to explore, if you want to know more, don't deprive yourself from that thing. And I will just, like, I will give you an example. In In the past two years, you know, I'm mostly doing nothing. COVID is around, no tourists. So I went into reading. And my new passion is mythologies. So I went deep into mythologies because I wanted to understand things like how it came, the origin of it. And like I tell you with confidence now, like I have totally different explanations to a lot of religious stuff that's around us. 
uh, and I can't wait to explore that. But again, if I don't have people who are really open, try to understand how things evolved, it will be useless. And I know it's very fascinating. Like I understand Islam differently now. I understand Judaism differently. I understand Christianity differently. A lot of practices that we couldn't have answers to them. In a way, I have an answer for them now. Interesting. Interesting. So come and come with an open mind and ready to hear things that, you know, you're not expecting and that might kind of shake you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Exactly. Don't be worried to step out of your comfort zone. That's tourism. If you want to come for and stay in your comfort zone, I'm not sure you're doing good tourism. Be ready to get out of your comfort zone and your experience would be very meaningful. Wherever you go, not just here, to any country in the world. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, words to live by. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Hussam. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. You're welcome, dear. Thanks. I appreciate it. What a fascinating conversation with Hussam Jubran, and I am now so excited to get back to the West Bank to explore even more of the culture and politics and history that I might have missed on my last visit. If you would like to learn more about Hussam and his work, check the show notes. I've included some links for you, including to Hussam's interview with American travel guru Rick Steves, who has also been a guest on this show. So Hussam appeared in Rick's Holy Land travel special a few years ago, and you can watch that interview for free on the Rick Steves website, so check that out if you're interested. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. If you're enjoying this show, which you know I just do in my spare time, it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend who you think might enjoy it. You've been listening to the Better Travel Podcast, and I am your host, Paige McClanahan. Jessica Danheiser composed our score, and the fantastic team at We Edit Podcasts edited this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you in two weeks. <laughs>